I, I received some very good advice in my uh, first ever preaching class. So a bunch of beginner preachers and my instructor told us, when you get to the end, stop. It's, it's great advice. It sounds really obvious, right? But, but if you're a preaching instructor and you're dealing with beginner, novice preachers all the time, you start to realize that you need to say the really obvious things and to emphasize them because you think that this is something that everyone should know. When you get to the end, you stop. But if you watch young preachers, I'm sure it's very amusing to watch a, a young preacher like me kind of try to come to the end of a service and, and, and bring the sermon home and kind of get to the end. It's, it's like the plane has, has reached its destination, has done the whole final descent thing, and, and the landing gear is down, and you're lined up on the runway, and, and then you see something in your notes, or you remember something from a class somewhere, or something you read somewhere, and you, you bring the plane back up, and you kind of circle around the city again, and the poor congregation sitting there, they're... They know where you wanted to go, that you brought them there. They're content. They've heard the message. They're, they're ready to pray, to sing another song, and to go home. And, and undoubtedly to talk over lunch about the beauty of God's word proclaimed and to have it transform their lives in uh, all ways possible. When you get to the end, stop. Well, we have finally reached the concluding section of the book of Romans. We're in, starting in chapter 15, verse 14, and, and after 14 long, hard, arduous months studying the book of Romans together, Paul finally announces that he's on his way down. He's on the final descent in the book of Romans. He's written the main part of his body. He's over. He's done the whole exposition of the gospel and, and applied that to the church in Rome, what they need to do in light of the gospel of God's grace. And now he's marking the fact that he's bringing his letter to a close. And if he was going to heed the good words of my professor, this would be our final Sunday and it would be a short one. Yeah, see, you know where this is going. But even good advice has its limits, right? And everyone's heart sinks, oh my goodness, we're not done yet. Yes, after 14 months, we still have three weeks yet. Because even good advice has its limits. Because Paul can follow this advice when you get to the end, just stop and bring it to a nice, concise, brief close. So the book of Galatians is almost abrupt in the way he closes that letter out. He's, he's giving the whole exposition of the gospel, the instructions to the church, and then it's almost like two verses at the end. He just tacks it on, by the way, we're done here, grace and peace be with you. The book of First Thessalonians, the book of Second Thessalonians, the same thing. Paul has a nice, concise, uh, nice, concise conclusion. He doesn't keep rambling on about it. So Paul can conclude nicely, nice with nice brevity. He can follow this advice pretty well. And yet he chooses not to hear because he knows that the conclusion to the book of Rome was this long letter to this church in Rome. This needs to accomplish something more than those other uh, books and those other conclusions do. Paul knows that his readers here in Rome need to understand a few important things before he can kind of lick the letter, seal it, and send it off in the mail, send it on its way. The next three weeks are going to show us those, those last important things that this church needs to understand if they're going to receive this letter well. And the first of those things, the one that we're dealing with this morning, is, is why Paul wrote this letter in the first place and why it's important for us to understand and to read it well. So we're in Romans 15, verses 14 through 22 this morning. And I invite you to turn there in your Bibles. Uh, if you're using the Pew Bibles, it's found on page 1,125. So the answer to this question, why Paul wrote and why it's important for us to hear this message, 
is rooted in the heart of Paul's ministry. So we're going to hear something of Paul's ministry this morning. Now, I always divide my sermons into two parts. That's what Jesus did. It's what Paul did. And so that's what I do, two parts. And so we're going to look at it in uh, two parts this morning. I understand that typically a Baptist preacher or a lot of evangelical free church pastors are supposed to have three points, nice one, two, three, and you do a poem and you do a prayer and you're done. But, but this is Jesus' method. It's Paul's method. Two points and then uh, the way I do it is two points and then I cry a little bit and I tell a story about hockey or, or mountains and, and then we can kind of go on our way. So two sections this morning because that's the right way to do it. I'm sorry, I'm punchy. I, was, I apologize. It's two sections because I think it's broken down into two sections. I think Paul is bringing us through here. We need to understand two things about his ministry this morning. Really, I try to follow the pattern of the text. I'm not making this stuff up. I think it's easier when there are two. But. Okay, the, the first thing then, two sections. The first thing that Paul wants us to know is how this letter that he wrote to the Roman Christians fits in with the commission that God has given him. So let's look at the text together. Romans 15, beginning in verse 14. This is what Paul says. I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. Yet I've written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again, because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so as Paul is marking the conclusion to his letter to the Roman church, he's starting off with a pretty glowing endorsement of these Christians. I mean, listen to these categories in verse 14. They are full of goodness. They are filled with knowledge. They are competent to instruct one another. It's a pretty comprehensive picture of a, of a healthy church, a healthy group of Christians. They understand the message of Jesus. They have the knowledge part, but not in kind of a head-only way that sort of leads you down a bad track. They have the knowledge of Christ. They understand the message of Jesus in a way that has played out in their lives so that they are full of goodness. And goodness, of course, is a pretty general term in English, and that's the same in Greek. It's just saying this is what a life lived in the gospel looks like. It's, it's a life that's full of goodness. And further, they're not without mature believers. There are people who, here who are able to instruct one another. They can say, yes, this is the truth of the gospel. This is what the gospel leads us to do and who it leads us to be. They're able to instruct one another, mature believers. So everything looks pretty good from the way Paul is describing the church in Rome. And not every letter is so optimistic or so glowing in uh, its description of the recipients. So a couple books later in our New Testament, the book of Galatians includes the phrase, you foolish Galatians. Or in the book of Corinthians, he's basically saying, if all you care about is your flashy spiritual gifts, and if you're not living together well in Christian unity and caring for another, then you're just a bunch of noisy gongs. You're not doing anything of any use. You're just making noise. But not so with the Roman Christians. They are full of goodness. They are filled with knowledge. They are able to teach one another. So this is a church that's going well. But if that's true then why does Paul write such a long letter to them? And why is he so aggressive on a couple points of of doctrine specifically, in particular the the Jew-Gentile thing that he keeps pushing throughout the whole book? 
Why is Paul writing this letter and why is he doing it so aggressively? Well, Paul says his, his aim, verse 15, is to remind them of the truth of the gospel. But remember, Paul didn't have anything to do with the Roman church. He, he had not planted this. He had planted churches all throughout, but he didn't plant the church in Rome. And Paul hadn't even visited the church in Rome, so they might know something of who he is. They might have heard that he's the apostle to the Gentiles, but, but they don't know Paul personally, many of them. So what, what is Paul doing writing to this church that is more or less foreign to him? Why is he writing such a long letter, and why can he speak so forcefully to them? Well, Paul says in verses 15 and verse 16, it is because of the commission God has given him. God has commissioned him to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. God has given him a a priestly duty, he says, to bring the gospel to these people. Paul is commissioned by God to bring the Gentiles to obedience to him. This This is the same thing he had said at the very outset of the letter. He knew if they were going to start reading the letter well, they needed to know something of what God had called him to do. And so uh, in the very first paragraph of Romans, Romans 1 verse 5, he's saying, Through Jesus Christ we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. So he's saying, God has called me to lead the Gentiles to obey God by preaching the gospel. And he reminds them in verse 6 of chapter 1, you too, you people in Rome, are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. So Paul is reminding them that, that they fit under his commission. He is called by God to bring the gospel to the Gentiles, and these people in Rome are part of that group. That's why he's writing this long letter to them. Now, there are two important things that we, that we learn from this kind of personal commendation of his own ministry. The first important takeaway is that that we understand that Paul has authority. He has God-given authority to write this letter. This isn't just kind of words that Paul came up with on his own. This is the message that God gave him for the church in Rome. So Paul has authority. This isn't some self-appointed church boss trying to kind of gain influence over another church that he hasn't started and he doesn't have any influence currently in. No, he is singled out by God for an important role. God has made him apostle and with authority over the Gentile churches. So Paul has authority. The other thing we learn from this is is we're reminded of Paul's goal in his commission. His goal, as we see in uh, chapter 1, verse 5, is to bring the Gentiles to obey God. He says the same thing in the next paragraph here, in leading the Gentiles to obey God. That is his goal of ministry, it's to bring the Gentiles to obey God. The language in our paragraph is a little bit uh, more colorful. So look at verse 16. This is how he describes it here. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. These are really unusual categories for Paul to use. He's saying that he is a priest, and he's saying that the the offering that he's bringing, what he's bringing to the altar as a sacrifice to God, is these Gentile believers. So it's a bit of a metaphor here. Paul is a minister, and he can talk about the priesthood of all believers, but here specifically he's saying that he is like a priest, and the Gentile Christians are like an offering that's, that's holy because of the Holy Spirit, and it is pleasing to God because of the Holy Spirit. 
It's unusual language, but really, if we flip a couple chapters back, Romans 12, one is saying that we are to offer ourselves as sacrifices, living, holy, pleasing. So it's just taking that language and bringing it forward in light of Paul's ministry here when we get to chapter 15. So the Gentiles, that the Christians that, that he is bringing to faith are like an offering offered to God, a sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him. So here's what we learned about Paul's ministry. First of all, it's under the commission of God, so it is authoritative. And second, it has the specific goal of bringing the Gentiles to obey God by preaching the gospel to them. Why does the church in Rome need to hear that? Why is Paul explaining this at the end of his letter? Well, they need to take his letter seriously. I, I don't know if you've ever received an anonymous letter in the mail, um, I got this, uh, I don't know, months ago, maybe years ago even, and it doesn't have my name on it. There's no return address. It just kind of says, Attention Pastor, Trinity Evangelical Preacher. So I think, okay, that's fine. I open it up, and I, I kind of start flipping through it. I say, okay, well, there's uh, 10 reasons to appropriate the spiritual blessings and eternal benefits of personal prayer based on the scriptures. And it has some scripture references. So I say, okay, well, this could be good information. There's, there's Bible references. I, I flip through the next things. I see what every genuine believer must be persuaded and also convinced uh, to be steadfast in the last days, again, some scripture references, and then a little bit of uh, information after that. I think this is good. I mean, there's some good information here. But I have no idea who this is from. I have no idea what the purpose of this person sending me this information is. There, there's no context for me to understand why this is important and why I should take the time to really read through it and digest it and see if this is really good information. It might be life-changing. It might be exactly what I need at that moment. But I'm going to tell you, I get really frustrated when there's no return address and when there's no indication who it's from. I'm much less likely to take it seriously. At, at most, and this is what I usually have, maybe this is a sinful thing, but at most I tend to just kind of skim it and then file it away. So I did keep it, but I didn't read it and really digest it. For the most part, I just kind of looked at it and moved on. Paul doesn't want the readers of the book of Romans to just skim the contents and then lay it aside. Paul wants people to take up this letter seriously, to, to understand why he's writing, so they can understand why it's so vital for them to read this letter. He wants people in community to take up what he says, to, to pick up the letter, to read it with purpose, to engage the contents, because he understands that what he has to say is vitally important for the church of Jesus Christ. He is saying the words that have the power of life in them, and he wants them to understand that's why he he's writing. It's because God has called him to write. He has given him authority to write, and God is speaking through what Paul is saying for their good so that these people can be gripped by the gospel and that their lives can be changed. That's why Paul is writing the letter. That's what we need to understand about his ministry. See, these Roman Christians don't know him personally, and it's not that Paul is just trying to take the limelight away from God and back to himself by talking about his own ministry. When he's talking about his own ministry, he's talking about what God has done and what God continues to do. He tells them about his ministry because they don't know him yet, and they need the context to understand why this letter is so important for them to read. By writing them, Paul is striving to fulfill his commission to them, to bring these people to understand the gospel and therefore to obey God. For all of its historical particularity, that is the exact same reason that we need to understand Paul's ministry. 
we need to understand that the letters that Paul writes that have been compiled in the Bible are so vitally important for us to hear because he is preaching the gospel so that life may come to us, that God may speak through his word to change our hearts and bring us to a different life, a life of obedience, life that is free. The intention of these letters, the intention of the Bible is to make you and me into offerings given up to God, holy and pleasing to Him because God has worked in our lives. They are written to change us. So when you take up the Bible, when you read the book of Romans, you read it seriously. You read it expecting God's voice to speak to you. Because He has commissioned people like Paul to write these words for our benefit. The Bible is God's word with power spoken to us as we read it. Obedience to God happens when the gospel of Jesus Christ is proclaimed to us and when it reaches our hearts and it changes our deepest affections and desires and loves. That's why reading Romans is so important. We need to read it seriously, take it seriously, because it's the exposition of the gospel from from first to last. Romans is a book that's centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Romans is the kind of book that you need to read with deadly seriousness. You take it up and you read it as if your life depends upon it. Because it's not ultimately about the ministry of Paul. Paul talks about his ministry, but ultimately... Paul is just a mouthpiece that God uses to bring more people to hear about Jesus Christ and to transform their hearts and their lives. He is using the message that Paul is speaking to rescue people and to bring them to life from death, to salvation from judgment. In other words, Romans has the power of life. It is the message of the power of life written down for us. Okay, so the first thing we need to know about Paul's ministry is that this letter is designed to fulfill his commission. His commission given by God is to bring Gentiles to obedience by preaching the gospel. And this letter is intended to do that, to preach the gospel to God's people. The second thing that Paul wants us to know is how he is fulfilling this commission given by God in in other parts of his ministry. So look with me at Romans 15 beginning in verse 17 and going through verse 22. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ has not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. Now the thing about Paul's ministry that is commissioned by God is that it has been successful. I know that's a dangerous kind of a phrase to talk about success in ministry, and there's a a lot of baggage tied to that. but, But here, successful means that this is what God has called him to do, and it's actually happening. God is working through Paul to accomplish the purposes that he commissioned him for. 
So Paul can be so bold as to say that he is glorying in his service, or even he is boasting in his service. You think boasting in your ministry, and that is a dangerous word. But, but Paul can talk about boasting in it because it's not about him. He, he is nothing. It's, it's quite clear here that but Paul is nothing in himself. His boast, verse 17, is in Christ Jesus. Because the only thing that's worth talking about, verse 18, is what Jesus has done. Paul is just an instrument. He's just a tool that God uses to accomplish what he has set out to do. And if there's any power in this ministry, it doesn't come from Paul. If there's power in the ministry, it's coming from the Holy Spirit at work. And Paul says that's exactly what happened. Verse 19, it was by the power of signs and wonders through the power of the Holy Spirit that the gospel has taken root. Paul was called to be God's man to bring the Gentiles to obedience to God by preaching the gospel. And so by his words and by his deeds, he did it. And we learn from the book of Acts, as Paul kind of alludes to here in in verse 19, that God's spirit moved in power in, in incredible ways so that the gospel was preached all over the region from Jerusalem all the way around the ark, all the way up to Illyricum, the northern edge of Paul's ministry all around the Western Medi- or the Eastern Mediterranean world. The gospel is making inroads all over the place. Paul says that he preaches throughout the region. It's a whole, he's fully proclaimed the gospel. And that doesn't mean that every single person in the region had heard the gospel and, and become a Christian. But it means that churches were planted in strategic areas throughout the whole region so that the gospel could be said to have come there. And Paul knows that other people are, are commissioned by God to do the, the kind of cleanup work in, in his mind, but, but the work of actually establishing these churches and, and turning them into mission centers that will go and plant churches throughout the whole area so that the whole region in the end is evangelized. But Paul understands that his part in that is seeking new frontiers for the gospel. He can't, his commission is for all the Gentiles to obey God. So he can't just stay put in a particular church. He has to keep moving, seeking new frontiers for the gospel because he knows it has to keep moving. So from Jerusalem all the way around the ark up to Illyricum, and he's about to tell us next week that he wants to go through Rome all the way over to Spain, the far side of the Roman Empire, because he knows that the gospel needs to go all over the world. And it's not Paul's plan. It's God's plan. Paul quotes from Isaiah 52 to show that's true. Those who didn't know are going to know. Those who didn't see are going to see. Isaiah 52, it's the the prophecy of of the suffering servant, the the Messiah to come. It's it's the prophecy of Jesus. The message of Jesus is going to go throughout the whole world. The people who didn't know anything about it are going to come to understand the work of God. That's what Paul's about. That's what his ministry is doing. His commission is to give or to bring the Gentiles to obey God by preaching the gospel. That's why he wrote the letter. It's why he's continuing to search for new frontiers to preach the gospel. But the whole thing is about preaching the gospel. The whole thing is proclaiming the gospel so that people will come to obey God. That is the heart of his ministry. It's, it's what he's all about. What Paul is doing here is, is setting us up to start thinking about the role that God has given us. When you hear someone talk about the incredible things that God's doing, it starts to move your imagination a little bit, right? You hear these incredible things that God's doing, great works of God, and you think, 
well, how can I be part of that? You, you think about God's work and then you start to, to question. I mean, you want to be part of a great movement like this. Those questions are the Holy Spirit starting to stir your thinking. Well, what has God given me? What, what about my life? What gifts has God given us? How can we contribute to the great work of God? How might God use us? Now, for now, they're just questions. We're going to lay those aside. We're going to start to explore those next week as we follow Paul's pattern here. But, but for now, it's just that the idea rooted that, that God is at work in power, and we need to start thinking about what that means for us and our lives and our part in that, our role within that great work. So as Paul is announcing his final descent in the book of Romans, he's bringing us to the conclusion He thinks it's really important for us to understand something about his ministry and and why he's writing, why it's important for us. He's reminding us that his commission, the commission that God has given him, is to bring people to obey God, to bring the Gentiles to obey him. And he's doing that by preaching the gospel. That's why this whole book of Romans is preaching the gospel. That's why he's looking for new places, frontiers, to preach the gospel. That's what his ministry is all about from first to last. It's bringing the gospel. And that's not Paul's idea. Paul's idea originally was to kind of persecute the church and to get rid of the followers of Jesus. That's Paul's idea of his ministry. And yet God pulled him out of that and and God had a new idea for Paul. His idea was not to persecute the church and to try to get rid of it, but instead to try to build up the church by preaching the gospel to them. And so through his letters and through his visits, through his church planting, he's preaching the gospel all throughout the Mediterranean world. And by God's grace, we have the letters given to us too so that Paul's ministry extends far beyond the Mediterranean world 2,000 years ago so that his message now has been read all over the globe for multiple millennia. The gospel is making inroads all across the world because God is using what Paul said to accomplish his purposes. That's why it's so important for us to read the book of Romans. How seriously have you taken this? I mean, I know it's a long book. I know we've been here for a long time. How seriously have you taken Paul's message? Because what Paul is saying here is that it's not his message. This is not Paul's message. This is the message of God. This is the gospel carried, given to Paul and God speaking through him. It is the voice of God through a human instrument for us and for our edification so that we might hear the gospel and be changed. Flip back to Romans 1. I want us to together see the, the power of the message that's contained in the book of Romans. I want you to see that there is power in these words far beyond what any human could have written. I mean, apparently Paul was a smart guy, but Paul in himself can't pen words like this. This message is not about Paul. This is about what God has done. I want to go through the book of Romans with you this morning. This is my birthday present to myself, is to preach the book of Romans first to the end because it's so easy for us when we take little chunks here and there to forget the whole flow of what Paul has said. So we're going to preach the book of Romans this morning. I want you to flip through with me because it's so vitally important. If what Paul is saying about his ministry is true, 
that he is proclaiming the gospel through his letter to the Roman church and that his goal is to bring us to obedience, then this is a book that we read with deadly seriousness. This is a book that contains the message of life. It contains the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what is the gospel? Paul starts off, Romans 1, talking about himself, his commission. He's an apostle called to bring the Gentiles to obedience by proclaiming the gospel. Talking about the the church in Rome in Romans 1, 8 through 15. And then he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because what is the gospel? The gospel is the power of God bringing salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. Because, why? Why is the gospel the power of God for salvation? It's because, 117, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from first to last. God's righteousness revealed in the story of Jesus Christ, the gospel and what is that gospel? It starts off with bad news. One eighteen, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and all the wickedness of the people because they're seeing the truth of God and they're discarding it. They don't think it's worth keeping anymore. So they're getting rid of the truth of God. They're, they're suppressing it. They're, they're turning away from God. They know what God's truth is and yet they're trading that for a lie. They're living for themselves. They're living in rebellion against God. And that means, chapter 2, that God's righteous judgment is coming against them. His wrath is right because they're trading truth for lies and and they can't even hide behind any kind of religiosity further into chapter 2. Even the Jews who have the law, who know something of what God wants, even they are not free from God's wrath because they're not doing what God has said to do. In truth, God is faithful, chapter 3, and these people are not faithful. And it's not just these people who are not faithful. It's you and I who are not faithful. This is where we fit into the story. No single person among us is righteous. We have all turned away from God. We have all chosen our own path. And that means, Romans 3.23, no one's going to be declared righteous by the law. Every single one of us has sinned. Every single one of us has fallen short of God's glory. We deserve death. That's the problem of the gospel. We deserve death. But, and this is a huge but, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to change that whole picture so that the truth now, Romans 3.24, is that all are justified freely by his grace, Through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. This is the cry part of the sermon. We got two points. I'm going to cry. We'll get a story about hockey later. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement, 325. God did it to say, verse 326, that he is righteous, he is just, he is the righteous one, and he is the one who makes righteous. You didn't do that on your own. This is the gospel. God sent his son to change the reality of the world. So where's your boasting? There's no boasting in this. This isn't something that you have done. This is something that you receive. It's a gift that you take by faith. Chapter 4, even Abraham wasn't justified by what he did. Even Abraham was justified because he believed God. It's about faith. It's about trusting God with everything. Not trying to do it on your own, but, but believing that what God has said is true. That's why Abraham was justified. And those who put their faith in Jesus, Romans 5, those who are justified through faith then have peace with God. 
peace with God. Those people who were unrighteous, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, those people who deserve God's wrath, who deserve to experience damnation, hell. Those people now have peace with God because of what Jesus did on the cross. Because he died, God offered him as a sacrifice of atonement. And because of that, if you put your faith in him, you have peace with the God who created the universe, the righteous and holy God. Because at just the right time, when you were powerless, when you were stuck in your sin, you could do nothing about it, Jesus died for you. So, Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so this whole story of the world is changed now, 12, 512 to the end of the chapter. Through Adam came sin, through sin came death, and that's the story of humanity. That's Romans 1 through 3. Through Adam came death. That's the end of the story, unless God acts. The gospel is that Jesus Christ came to change that story. Jesus is the true Adam, the second Adam who comes and brings life instead of death, where sin brought death, and that was the story of humanity. Now Jesus comes and he brings life, and that's the new story of humanity. So chapter 6, what that means is that even though we used to be dead in sin, now the truth is that we are alive in Jesus Christ. You were dead and now you are alive. Do you hear that language? Death to life. You were, chapter 6 still, you were a slave to sin. It was controlling your life. You thought you were doing what you wanted. You were a slave to sin. But the truth is now Jesus has broken those chains. You are not chained to sin any longer. You are now free because of what he has done because you are now in him. And that means, paradoxically, 15 to the end of the chapter, that you are a slave to righteousness. And that might sound a little weird to you, that you are a slave to righteousness, but the truth is that is the only true freedom. Because, chapter 7, you used to try to do good things, and you found that you couldn't do them. The struggle was that you saw what was right, you knew what was right at times, and yet consistently, time after time after time, you didn't do it. You knew what you wanted to do, but what you did, what you wanted to do, you didn't do that. What you didn't want to do, that's what you did. But, the end of chapter 7, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Chapter 8, verse 1, Therefore, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. You are now free in Jesus Christ because of what he has done for you. That, again, is the gospel, the good news. You were dead. You were condemned. But now there is no condemnation for you. Your old life was the desires of the flesh and being drawn to things that were destructive and were sinful and were enslaving. But you have been set free from that. That is not your life anymore. That's the life of the flesh, of your your human desires, your human passions. That is now gone and done with. You don't have to follow that way anymore because now you belong to God's Spirit. God lives within you by His Holy Spirit, enlivening your heart, enlivening your mind, changing your deepest affections because you now belong to Jesus. And when that's true, when you understand that's true, it doesn't matter what circumstance you're going through now. You can be going through the hardest thing you've ever faced in your entire life. You could be suffering, beaten, oppressed, 
And it doesn't matter because you know that in the end there is a future glory waiting for you that's far better than you could ever have imagined. So incredibly glorious that no matter what you are going through today, whatever struggle you are going through today, it's, it's not worth comparing to what's about to be revealed. And the whole creation is understanding that. Paul says again in verse, in chapter 8, midway through the chapter, that a whole creation is groaning because they know that God's redemption is coming. And they know that it's not here yet. They know that today there is suffering and there is hardship. But they know that right on the horizon there is a redemption that when we see it, we will be in awe, speechless. So that means that whatever is happening now, Romans 8, 31 to the end, no matter how bad things are, you are more than conquerors in Jesus Christ. Why? Verse 38, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is because of the gospel that you are to live your life today with absolute security and freedom because you understand that these are part of the process that God is using to redeem the world. But what about God's people, Israel? Chapter 9, yes, God chose the people of Israel. He loves his people, Israel. They are the people through whom he was redeeming the world. But, chapter 10, they've turned away from him. Even though God is faithful, they have turned away. And this is a heartbreaking reality that, by and large, the people of Israel, the Jewish people, have not accepted their Messiah. And Paul says, what do we do with that? And yet, chapter 11, that there is a remnant of these people who who have heard the story of the Messiah, they've heard the gospel, and they've responded to God's redemption. And so, halfway through uh, chapter 11, they are one people of God. They are the, the kind of true branch, and we Gentile believers are engrafted into that true branch. And then, end of chapter 11, incredibly, God is not done with his people Israel. God's going to save his people Israel. And so, in light of this incredible revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable God's judgments and God's paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been God's counselor? Has anyone ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. That's the main body of the letter. Paul is proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so what do you do with that chapter 12? In view of God's mercy, because of the story of grace that you've just heard, you offer your bodies as a sacrifice to God. You give yourself wholly over to him. You are a sacrifice, holy, pleasing, living You don't conform to the pattern of the world. You are conformed by the renewing of your mind, by the Holy Spirit, to live a different life. And that means together, this community of people who have experienced the same thing, who have heard the gospel, they are one body together, living well together because the gospel has changed them. And that gospel community is a community where where love is the, the root of it, that love is the root ethic, that we are to sincerely love in all aspects of life so that in the end, end of chapter 12, we aren't overcome by evil, we overcome evil with good. And that's true, Romans 13, even when it comes to the people who are in authority over us. It's true because love is the foundation of who we are. 
it's true, the end of chapter 13, because we understand that the day is coming when Christ, Christ will return and he will bring his beautiful kingdom of justice and righteousness and peace. And that means, chapter 14 today, that the little squabbles that we have in church are not that important. It's not important for us to kind of fight for our way of doing church or our way of particular Christian practices. Instead, we are able to give up our rights, knowing that the baseline for us, the one thing we are supposed to do is to follow our Lord. We are servants of Christ Jesus. Our call is to obey him with our lives. If the gospel is really true, that's the only thing you can do, right? If this message of God through Jesus bringing you from death to life, freeing you from slavery to make you a slave of righteousness, a truly free person, then of course you are going to give up your own rights and to follow God and to help other people follow him. And so that means, Romans 15 now, that the strong people bear with the weak people because the desire is to build up the church. You accept one another because this is God's work evident in front of you. One people of God, all worshiping Jesus. That's the message of Romans. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you take that message seriously, it will change your life forever. And we have come to the end, so it's time to stop. Please pray with me. Our holy and gracious God, please use your word to shape us into your new creation. Father, I pray that you would preach your gospel to us so that we may be this holy, pleasing sacrifice, an offering on your altar to please you. We pray this in the name of Christ, our one hope, our Lord, our Savior, our Deliverer. Amen. May God bless you by speaking his gospel to your heart.